Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to welcome to Qualitative Reach. Uh, first episode with Derek Bridget. I'm your host, Todd Kreinek. Derek is in the prime of his career. Um, he spent 15 years punching above his weight, and it's we're we're at the point where he's it's starting to stack up. He's got Anthony Ellington Real Estate Advisors, Purple Key properties it's a multi-family operator and then he's also on the board of directors of hope housing foundation which has a balance sheet of over 100 million in assets it's um it's been a heck of a plight um today we're gonna we're gonna get into some of the challenges of multifamily with uh with derek in terms of um you know always having a pipeline in place to land your 1031 exchange money how do you do that and um the challenge is, what do you do if you end up with, you know, an inheritance situation? If you're if you're the patriarch passing on your properties, who do you pass them on to? How do you do that? Do you do that? And if you're inheriting, what do you, what does that really look like? So, um, Derek, are you are you are you with us this morning? Yes, Todd, I, I am with you this morning. Thank you so much for having me. I consider it an honor and privilege, you know, to be the guest on the inaugural Qualitative Reach Show. So I'm pretty excited about it. I'm pumped, and it's Thanksgiving. And um, it's going to be a beautiful day, sir. Yeah, it is a beautiful day. And it's a great day to start it. Wonderful day to be thankful. And, um, you know, Thanksgiving's always been, a for me, a, just a nice time to sit back and, you know, count your blessings and reframe things. I One of my more favorite holidays. I'm, I'm grateful that you're spending your morning with me on this. Um, yeah, so, so some of the things we want to get out with uh, qualitative reach is we want People who have um, people who've who've built large careers through um, really clean, qualitative, high high touch, high accuracy um, networking, um, and then in you know where you know find out who they are, where they've been, and help them get their story out to continue it. So. You know, you've got an incredible story. Um, I, I, I've really, I've, I've enjoyed getting to know you over the past year, and, um, and I know that um, I mean, you started out, you started out in real estate as, as a wholesaler, which is one of the, you know, most nasty words to most people because it's such a transient task. Um, and then you just woke up 15 years later, and you know, everything's all together. So, um, you know it's like the world just came to you on your couch. Is that hap- Is that how it happened? I mean, what, <laughs> I mean, that, that would be a beautiful day, you know, <laughs> you, you, you could just wake up, you know, getting yelled at, getting cussed out and <laughs> transition into 15 years later. Right. Uh, that would be you put, day. put the sign on the road house for sale. And yeah. then uh, <laughs> yeah, so, just like uh, the seminar said, is yeah. that how it went? Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> So I was like, I tell people all the time, you know, like I never thought I would be in real estate, like real estate chose me. And and I I say that, you know, as a chuckle, but just being honest, because I was working as a staff accountant with the Rogers group in uh, in Ohio. And my son was visiting uh, St. Louis with uh, his mother. I stayed back in Ohio. She Um, took my son to St. Louis for the 4th of July weekend. And, you know, to make the long story short, um, my son ended up having an accident and the state ended up taking my son. And so 
uh, what do you do, right? Um, I go down there. I try to get my son. They say, no, you're with the mother. You can't get your son. They're accusing us of all of these crazy things, you know, child abuse, neglect, all of these different things they're accusing us of. And we're like, wow, really? Okay. So um, needless to say, every lawyer I called wanted a minimum of $5,000, a minimum of $5,000. I'm two weeks into my job at the Rogers Group. So that was the reason I didn't come because I couldn't take off. I had just started a new job and nor did I have $5,000. So to make the long story short, I ended up looking for a way to get money. Um, nobody in my family had it. And those who did have it, they weren't willing to give it to me. So I come across this ad, hey, you find us a property, we'll give you $5,000, right? And so I go to the, to, the, to the interview, and what I think is a job interview, I got on my shirt, my tie, looking good, smelling good. It turns out to be a guru selling some real estate coaching. And so what I knew was I didn't have enough money to buy his coaches, but I also knew that I can get in contact with this guy if I could actually find a property, right? So I beat the phones, took the foreclosure newspaper, did everything I could to actually find a property, presented it to this guy. Of course, um, he later, you know, buys the property. I get my $5,000. And then from there, uh, we go through the court process. And my son is diagnosed with brittle bone disease. All the charges are dropped. We're absolved of all wrongdoing. We get our son back. We all live happily ever after. But mind you, I'm making $36,000 at the Rogers Group a year, and I just made $5,000 in two weeks. And so <laughs> I was like, maybe it's worth looking into possibly doing this a little more. And so my next deal, I was able to uh, find that guy, and it had a much larger margin. And on my second deal, I made $40,000. So now in a period of six weeks, I've made $45,000. Or I could stay at the Rogers Group for a year and make $36,000. So at that point, I began to become extremely interested in real estate, wanted to learn everything I could about it, and wanted to really, really embrace and learn about my craft. And um, from there, you know, I started attending seminars, meeting different people, and just, you know, doing it the good old-fashioned way. When I got into wholesaling, they didn't have all of these software packages and all of these things that they have available today. Like I was like literally going down to the courthouse, buying the foreclosure newspaper, driving, knocking on people's doors. Some people will offer me tea and invite me in. Other people will try to kill me. Um, it was just, <laughs> you know, it, it was just a real, real adventure. But the skill set, you know, of networking and meeting people's needs and learning how to communicate pe with people in different stages of life. And, you know, being comfortable in all types of different chaotic situations, you know, allowed me to get there and, you know, build the business, you know, into where it is today. And so, yeah. you know, wholesaling does get a bad name, you know, just like, you know, various organizations, various people get a bad name because of the few bad apples. But in all actuality, when wholesaling is done correctly, you really do get to help a lot of people. A lot of those people get to save their credit. A lot of those people get to keep a foreclosure off their record. A lot of those people get to get, you know, cash to deal with certain, you know, unforeseen circumstances and situations. You know, it's not a totally bad thing, but there are a few characters who give wholesalers a bad name. Yeah. And it for you, for you, I know there have been some uh, it's it's not been a clean path. I mean, you you just put together 
you know, a five minute, you know, five minute synopsis of the happy start. But, but along the way, um, you know, along the way you, you, I'm sure hit some, um, you know, some learning curves because I know in traveling with you in hitting properties, the, the one thing that I saw as we're looking through multifamily is, um, every time we show up on site, you've got a, a well-oiled machine of people who, who are there to tour the property with you. And it doesn't matter the city you end up with, you end up with, um, you know, general contractor, subcontractors and everything is, is put together. How do you, you know, how do you, you know, how do you build those relationships? What, what, what's that process look like? Because you're, you're the only person I've seen who actually shows up with, you know, um, a herd, you know, a posse, a herd, a, just a, just a, everyone's there to knock out the, to knock out the due diligence on the tour. I mean, what, what does that look like? I mean, how's that, how's that all come together? Well, um, you know, I, I won't, I won't say that, um, I, I won't say that, you know, it, it, it was easy, but it's just, it's just a few old things that your grandparents teach you, right? You know, like treat people the way you want to be treated. Um, you know, the same people you see on the way up are the same people you see on the way down. Um, you know, have, have some humility, you know, and, and ultimately, um, I, I operate from the mindset that, you know, I treat everybody like a million bucks, Right. And, and, until they show their self otherwise. And so a lot of the people that um, that I've built relationships with, you know, they started at the bottom with me and they worked their way up. Um, other people that I've, you know, built relationships with, you know, it's been cultivated over time. And, and here it is. You know, I'm not really, you know, the guy that you would think would have great relationships. You know, I'm loud. You know, I'm not very well spoken. You know, <laughs> I don't I don't have a Ph.D. or anything like that. Um, and then a lot of times, you know, I wear jogging suits and ball caps, you know, to the <laughs> seminars where everybody else has on shirts and ties and, you know, blazers and all of this. So I'm not really a guy that <laughs> that you would think would have such great relationships. But over time, I think my heart and being who I am has, you know, allowed people to get past their initial impressions. And just actually knowing something and adding value. My, my goal, you know, every day with every person that I come in contact with is to some way, somehow add value. Whether it's just, you know, saying hi, you know, have a great day. Or whether it's a technical question like, hey, how do I calculate a cap rate? Or whether it's, you know, hey, you know, my tire's flat. You know, well, hey, let me call AAA. You know, I go throughout my day focused on relationships. You never, you never, you never, you never chase money. You always chase relationships. The money is a side effect of the relationships. And so I've just chose to invest in people, not, not, not things. And, you know, those investments, as far as investing in people, meeting people at the ground level and treating people the way that you want to be treated and operating with, you know, high character and high integrity, you know, has ultimately paid dividends. And, you know, I think the greatest compliment is when I call, they answer the phone. <laughs> Something so simple, right? But, you know, people dodge and screen calls all the time. It, and so it, if yeah. I was to recommend, like, just hey, ultimately treat people the way you want to be treated, 
you know, and um, make sure that you invest in people. Try to add value to people. It's kind of funny. You're right. We we do live in a world where, um, you know, everybody looks at their phone, you know, to see who's calling. And one of one of my objectives when I, you know, my one of my broader objectives when I form relationships is to um, find out, you know, how to how to be that person um, that the other side wants to take my call. You know, it, it's like how do I how do I how do I make sure I am piecing into this other person in such a manner that they um, um, that they will, you know, take my call on the first ring. Or right. if it's ring number four, they're like, sorry, I had to get off this other call. And right. And that's, you know, to me, that's that's um, the biggest sign of respect um, you, you can earn. I mean, you 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 when when you're forming relationships and you're forming friendships and, and you know, when when people are willing to, you know, stop to to pick you up, you know, to pick up your call as soon as as soon as the dial hits, um, that's you know that that's a sign of respect that should be you know you know appreciated as soon as you know when that happens, it's like wow, that's that's flattery, and um, and and it 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 doesn't happen. You know, it, it doesn't happen by, you know, people just being nice and say, oh, my phone's ringing. I got to get it. I mean, you you have to build the value. And sometimes it takes a while, you know, pounding, pounding people with value. You know, never lead with an ask. Always lead with value. How do I piece in? How do I help you? 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 And eventually, eventually they're like, uh, I kind of owe you. What are we piecing in with you? Exactly. Exactly. So, so one of the things that I want to get out because I, I know you pretty well. Um, one of the things that I want to get out into the world for you is, you know, there's a disconnect you know, between um, the world of multifamily, which is very stable, and the world of um, of wholesaling, which is very transient. Um, and in multifamily, you tend to just like the the fund world or compliance anywhere else. You know, as soon as as soon as a deal starts, you whoever's Whoever is stuck on the side with the long timeline and the big team, as soon as they write something down in paper, it's got to go to 20 people. And from there, it goes to another 20 people and they're just stuck with whatever it starts and, and things can't wobble. And with wholesaling, it's a very different world. But there's there's a, a superpower you have where you blend those two, those skill sets. And I think from what I've seen, it's often overlooked or underappreciated by people who are trying to piece into you. Let's get into, you know, what, what drove your transition into multifamily from, from transactional with wholesaling and what's, um, you know, what are you noticing inside of you with respect to, um, you know, the ways you see and do things differently? How, how's that whole swirl piece together for you? So, so what, um, what, what drove the change was like, I'm, I'm just a dreamer, you know, um, I, I'm a dreamer, you know, I think big, you know, I've never been like, you know, hey, you know, let me, you know, buy a house or anything like that. It's always been like, how can I buy the neighborhood? How can I buy the subdivision or how can I buy the state? Right. And so with me just always, you know, dreaming and thinking big, the the natural progression was after you reach, you know, a certain level in wholesaling was to transition to multifamily. And, um, you know, I noticed that a lot of my buddies 
who had strong rental portfolios, um, they were they were pretty, pretty comfortable during the downturns, you know, of the real estate market. You know, they they weren't they weren't hurting as bad as us people who had a truly transactional business because, you know, their their business model allowed for them to, you know, have a baseline or benchmark every month. Whereas all of us wholesalers, every month we start at zero and we have to go out and create everything that we make for that month. And so um, that was my goal. I knew I needed to do something. But again, with me being a dreamer and always thinking big, I could not get myself excited about $200 cash flow a month or $500 cash flow a month. But what I could get excited about was $10,000 cash flow a month or $20,000 cash flow a month, which meant that I would have to have either $5,200 cash flows or $100,200 cash flows a month, right? And so that's what initially piqued my interest in multifamily. And so how the two wholesaling and multifamily combine is your, your income in wholesaling is a direct representative of how you do your marketing. And so what I found is that being that both of those properties are publicly recorded, both of those properties, you know, have access in court records and both of those, both of those types of properties, you know, have a lot of data available, data available. It's a lot, it's very, very easy to take that wholesale marketing mindset and transition it over into commercial. But the difference when you're dealing with commercial sellers, as opposed to residential sellers is a lot of times the commercial sellers are extremely sophisticated. And so while it's, I think it's a fair assumption to make that everybody has a pretty simple, um, pretty simple idea of what it takes to buy a house, right? Just as general knowledge, you know, you have a mortgage, you have a house, you know, it needs work. You know, you can watch HGTV all day and have basic knowledge of what it takes to buy and sell a house and flip a house, right? Just basic you know, a 5,000 foot view of basic knowledge, which makes those conversations extremely easy um, on a residential side. However, when you're, when you're dealing with sophisticated investors, they have a totally different set of questions, a totally different um, mindset. And so while you're able to get in contact with them using the marketing, the conversations are a lot more in depth. And so for me, the bridge was, Instead of hiring a team to make all of my cold calls and residential wholesaling and everything else, what I found is when I transitioned over to commercial, I had to make those I had to make those calls because there was no way that I could train, you know, somebody in less than, you know, six months uh, to be able to deal with all of the questions and circumstances and different types of things that uh, a, a, a sophisticated investor may ask. And so. Um, the main transition is basically your marketing and your conversation, but the marketing piece is what makes it, you know, extremely easy. And that's how we've been able to find unbelievable deals in the commercial sector. Yeah. And I think, um, one of the things, one of the things that, um, let's, before we get back to this, let's, let's jump over to, I want to piece this in before we go to the next part of this. Um, let's jump over to your your experience now, the things that you're, um, you're having to review or be over or the thought process with, um, with hope housing, because that's, you know, that's completely on the other side of the spectrum. You're board, you're a board member at hope. 
you guys have in a very large portfolio. And unlike most portfolios that would be held by a family, um, you have certain stewardship requirements by being a 501c3 that other people don't, which adds to um, the gravity of the conversation, the slowing things down. Um, what's that transition been like now that you're you're the guy who's actually got to sign off on stuff? How's your how's that hit you in comparison to the world of uh, transactional? Um, so first and foremost, uh, shout out to our, our our director and president uh, Alvin Hope Johnson of the Hope Housing Foundation. Brilliant guy, brilliant mind. You know, a true a true trailblazer in the affordable housing industry. You know, it's definitely an honor and a privilege. You know, to have conversations with him and talk to him and uh, and Darren. You know, every 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 single day, pretty much. Um, but you know, it, it's it's just it's just it's a totally different it's a totally different mindset because when you go from for profit to nonprofit, you're you're basically going um, from a, a a business transactional mindset being your primary focus to service being your primary focus. And so again, just like I speak about, you know, the relationships and the money being a side effect of the relationships, it's the same principle when you're operating in the 501c3 area. You ultimately focus on serving the people. You ultimately focus on making sure that people are much much better off than they were before you came. And while you're doing that level of service, that level of commitment, commitment, that level of community engagement, then, you know, ultimately things just ultimately fall into place. But um, we, we focus on, you know, affordable housing. Um, we have a lot of things going on in the affordable housing sector. And we're actually in the process of looking to do some new construction projects um, with some new technology that we've stumbled across. That's absolutely phenomenal. And we're looking forward to doing that. But again, the mindset shift is just ultimately service first. We are a service first organization and we just ultimately try to serve the people with all the resources that we have available. And the, and the decision process is much more permanent too. I mean, you, I think, I think when you're running, when you're, when you're running a 501 C3, when you're sitting on the board of directors, you're not even, you know, um, Alvin, Alvin's an incredible, an incredible lead at the organization, a beautiful soul. Um, when he says something, he means it. Um, He's, he's a great guy. He, if you have to be a board member over someone, um, I would feel comfortable being a board member over him. Uh, but when when you're when you're making decisions now, you you don't get to unscramble the egg, and um, you know that's 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 a very different mindset than than with wholesaling, where it's like, okay, what do we have to do to get this? You know, get to the finish line. Everything everything's about the finish line. So so one of the things I want to blend back in is um you know as 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 a as a sales as a sales agent of um multifamily um at nei one of the biggest things that we hear is um you know the whole 1031 problem if i sell i've got to reinvest what do i do with it how do i you know how do i pull something together in such a short time window in in the answer is you know, in, in my mind, you know, the answer is, well, you, you've got to be underwriting so you know you can land. Um, how does, you know, how does this piece out? Um, 
you know, what's your attitude towards, you know, partnerships or being willing to maybe joint tenant some 1031 money? What do you, what do you look for with people that would want to come in and participate with you on a project with Purple Key, which is um, a for-profit entity? What do, you know, what are your thoughts in general on, on, you know, the things you do with respect to building a pipeline of inventory and who you'd actually want to pick up the phone for if they put money into a deal? Well, um, well, well, the, the whole the whole thing is, you know, for me, again, you know, my 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 goal is to do good business with good people. And, you know, the, the first thing ultimately just begins, you know, with with the conversation, you know, um, 1031 exchanges are extremely, extremely complex. And there are a lot of moving parts. And there are a lot of things that have to fall in place. You know, you got custodians, you got attorneys, you know, you got brokers, you got property. I mean, it's a lot. Um, it's a lot that goes into those transactions. And so with with that being said, my, my first focus will be, hey, are we a good fit? You know, let's let's not worry about the money. But, you know, are we are we a good fit? You know, does our vision for the property, does our vision for the transaction, does what we're trying to do align with your investment goals? Right. And. If we can come to a meeting of the minds on that, then at that point, we have a host of options at our disposal. You know, we're willing to joint venture with the right people. Um, we're willing to do a joint tenant in common, again, with the right people. Or, you know, they can ultimately um, just remain remain silent and invest in, the, you know, the, the private placement memorandum, you know, and, and get their return in equity position that way. And so ultimately, we have, you know, easily you know, a host of options at our disposal. It's just a matter of making sure it's the right fit. Because again, you know, we want to make sure that it works for everybody. You know, one of the things that I've tried my hardest to practice um, as I've came up in the business world is I try to do as many as possible win-win situations. I want everybody, you know, to come away satisfied. If it doesn't work for them, then ultimately it doesn't work for me. And if it doesn't work for me, then ultimately it doesn't work for them. So we like to do win-win situations, and with 1031 exchanges, we have a host of options at our disposal. Yeah, do you, um, I have some insight into your pipeline. Do you, do you have anything that you'd, you'd be willing to talk about lightly um, at this point to give color into the type of properties Purple Key looks at and the projects you get involved with? Yeah, so we, we, look, at, we look at heavy, heavy value add type projects. Um, you know, stabilized projects are extremely expensive right now and, uh, we can't blame them. Um, because, you know, again, we like to do win-win situations. So our focus is on value add projects, a hundred units or more where we can go in, use the infrastructure that we discussed earlier and put together a strategy to create value for our investors. And we typically like them anywhere from, you know, see areas on up and um, we like them 100 units or more on up and we'll deal anywhere from all the way 100% vacant to, you know, 60, 70% occupied. And we'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll get it, we'll get it performing. You know, it, it's, it's what we do. We're, we're extremely comfortable in that sector. We have teams that will travel. We have our financing in place. We have our relationships in place. And um, that's that's pretty much what we like. We have a few deals in our pipeline um, right now. Then a couple we are um, negotiating on, 
Um, we have 1,240 units, you know, in Memphis that we're working on. Um, we, we sent out the LOI. Um, we haven't we haven't got a favorable favorable response on that. So we're still working to see if we can get that one um, accepted. We have uh, 128 units in St. Louis that we're working on. Um, you know, you're looking at acquisition price right around 3.5 and million and a half to put in it. And then after that, it'll be worth you know, roughly seven to eight million on the backside. Um, and then we also have, you know, various other offers that we're, you know, currently analyzing um, to see exactly where we want to price. So um, we try to keep, you know, anywhere from two to 3,000 units in our pipeline at different stages, whether it's in a analysis stage, LOI stage or contract stage. You know, we, we try to keep, you know, a lot of deals in our pipeline just because, you know, they fall out all the time. Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a fair that's probably the fairest statement is um, you have to I mean you you just have to keep pounding the new deal starts because you know the 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 ability or the likelihood of a new start to actually get to the finish line is is thinner than people realize um, you know stuff just goes sideways things don't come together people have a difference of opinion. Uh, seller and buyer tend to rub each other wrong, start throwing out elbows and non-Christian words. Um, and then you got to back away and come back six months later while everybody's still enamored with the, you know, the idea of a transaction. And it just, you know, there, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to pulling these things together. And I think, um, I think that's, that's the one thing that until you've been on the other side of, of this, where you're, you're actually in the deals and you're managing the properties and, and you're, you know, you have to, you have to operate while trying to do a transaction. Um, you just don't understand, um, right. you know, people, you know, people come in as prospective buyers uh, thinking they can be rather cavalier, you know, and they go through a little bit of uh, due diligence, a little underwriting. And then they're like, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to write them an offer down here because that's what it's worth. Um you, you can't even start the conversation there because you, you don't even you don't even grasp the challenges on the side of the seller. Um, right. I mean, there, there's a certain decorum when when you get into multifamily, there's there's a certain decorum because if you're selling this stuff. OK, then the next topic I want to make sure we get through today is with with inheriting properties or, or on the sell side. If you have, if you've got a package of 500 or a thousand units that you, your dad has assembled and um, you've got some management in place, good long-term employees, and, you know, maybe there's a heavy value add component because he did deferred maintenance to squeeze all the cash out he could. Um, and, and you're not the guy to do it. I mean, if you, you loved your dad, you loved your, um, you loved his money and you were happy he had his business, but you're going to get this business and you're not the guy to run it. Um now you got staff and as soon as you throw it up on the market guess what everyone's looking for a new job now you got now you got half vacant apartments and no staff um what's been your experience because i think i think what plays in um what plays in well is um i think you're seeing some of that i mean i saw it on the family office side and i think you're seeing some of that what do what do you see with respect to that and how do you how do you approach people who need to unwind well, uh, sorry, my phone was ringing. My apologies. No worries. Um, so, so for us, again, it, it just goes back to, you know, the old adage, you know, what, what is, you know, 
my mind just works kind of different than most people. I always start with the end in mind and then reverse engineer everything to get to a starting point. And so, again, when we're dealing with the people with inherited properties, again, what, what is their ultimate goal? Is their ultimate goal to have a lump of cash? Is their ultimate goal to have some cash now and maintain a residual income? Is their goal to just dump the property and squeeze whatever whatever pennies they can out of it and let it be somebody else's, you know, opportunity? It, it, it ultimately depends on, you know, what their end goal is. So we've we've reached out to people and we've structured joint ventures in which we gave them some cash and did a value add component. And they were able to maintain a certain percentage of equity in the property and, you know, still get a lump sum of cash and and get some residual income. Um, we've bought, you know, those types of properties at a very, very significant discount because they're just like, look, I, I don't want to deal with it. I, don't, I just don't just take it off my hands. And then we've had those people, you know, who have come in and we've just said, hey, we'll, we'll take the management off your hands. Give us the ability to um, do some renovations and some value add and, and we'll handle it from a management a management perspective. And, you know, we'll get our equity percentage, you know, as a part of the management contract. And so we've, we've done it all different types of ways. It ultimately just depends on what the end goal is. But the quickest thing I would say is, you know, Call Todd. He'll get you in contact with me and we'll figure it out, right? <laughs> you know, and, and on that, so Todd Kreinyak, NAI Mid-Michigan, <laughs> 517 204 uh, <laughs> Let's just get that out. I'm, I'm shameless. I'll, I'll follow right in with that uh, because that is the purpose. You know, the purpose of this uh, this podcast series is, is it's to develop the family, Um because if you've if you've been in, you know, if you've been in a position with your career where you've got to develop reach and you've got to develop relationships and be known before the referrals come in, um, you it, it takes work and you have to maintain your brand and you have to um, you have to be known for associating with with top quality people, um, people that when you go into battle, you know, they'll be in the foxhole with you. And, right. um, so that's, that's the purpose of this. And I'm, I'm grateful. Um, I'm grateful for you taking, taking, um, a pretty big chunk of your holiday morning, uh, to spend time. Um, I actually, I'm honored, um, you know, beyond, beyond belief. Um, it's, it's, um, you know, it's appreciated. So, um, on that end, I think, uh, I think we're about to wrap this up and I hope everybody enjoys the lions game today. Ty, you know they're not going to win. <laughs> I'm from Detroit. We know they're not going to win. We're just happy they don't have to lose to Green Bay yet again. <laughs> hey, well, Todd, just remember, your team didn't leave you, right? You know, our, our team just decided, you know what, we'll just go to L.A. You know, and we'll, we'll just get a new stadium, sign all the best free agents, go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's what my team did. So, you know, if I'm a bitter Betty, you're absolutely right I am, you know. <laughs> All right, brother. On that, I'll talk to you over the week sometime. Thanks a lot. Have a good day, man. You too. Take care. Bye now.